Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we jump into this episode, just wanted to make you aware that on our website, bythehood.com, we have a free webinar on an intro to the stock market. So please go check it out. Just go to bythehood.com and you'll get the free intro to the stock market webinar. Take it easy and enjoy this episode. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast or webcast, because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host, as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to anyone who supports what we got going on. Special shout out to all the students from By the Hood University, as well as the youth from the By the Hood Ownership Camp. Um, you know, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing positive work in the community. I do want to say my partner, Corey, is not here right now. He's actually working with some youth right now as we speak. But with that being said, um, we have a sister on right now who is doing amazing work in the community, putting out positive energy. She's an entrepreneur, investor, realtor. And we're going to tell her story or let her tell her story. But without further ado, I want to introduce Devin. Devin Cottle. Devin, how are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, man, I'm amazing, man. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. You know, time is valuable. So we appreciate when people, you know, share their time with us. Um, but let's jump right into it because you have a lot of things going on. But let's start from the very beginning. Let's go back, right? So um, for audience that may never heard about you, tell us where you're born and raised. Sure. So uh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I have been all up and down the East Coast my entire life. I was born actually in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My dad was stationed at Fort Bragg, Um but I only lived there until I was like six months old because he was honorably discharged. And then we moved back to Philadelphia. Both of my parents are from Philadelphia. That's how they met. My great grandparents' house is down the street from my grandparents' house. So um, we moved back to Philly. Then we relocated to Central Florida to the Orlando Kissimmee area when I was like five. And so mm -hmm. I've kind of bounced back and forth between Florida and Philadelphia my whole life. So. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Where, where were you at when you went to, say, high school? I was in Orlando, but my mom was in Philadelphia. <laughs> I have a joke. There's a running joke that every time my mom remarries or gets divorced, I move. But by the time I was in high school, I was like, listen, like, I'm going to stay. I already have in-state tuition. I'm just going to stay down here. You can go back to Philadelphia, do your own thing. <laughs> Got you. Got you. So let me ask you this question. What kind of student were you coming up? I was always... Um, a high achiever, I guess you would say. Like, mm -hmm. I was in the gifted program, I was in AP classes, I was in the National Honor Society, I was a national achiever. So I guess they there's like a thing where you get a certain SAT or ACT score, mm -hmm. and if you score high out of like all the black students nationwide, what, isn't that a national achiever? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. But I was always um, very talented academically. Both of my parents are super intelligent. Um, my mother, she actually graduated high school at 16. My wow. father, he went to, he didn't graduate, but he went to UVA, which is, you know, the Harvard of the South. So mm -hmm. my mom used to read the dictionary for fun. I read the encyclopedia for fun. So I come from a very, uh, a, a family that definitely really, uh, respects and nurtures academic talent. Um, so even though, you know, sometimes my mom was a single mother and sometimes she was remarrying and we moved a lot. Academics were heavily stressed. That was never like a issue for me growing up. Um, well, yeah. So, I had 
So you were strong academically, but what yes. so if you can remember, what were your goals or plans back then? Like, you know, you were you were doing well in school. What did you want to do when you got older? <laughs> I wanted to do everything. Um, and I kind of do everything now. It's funny, like um, you know, how life is maybe you don't end up exactly where you wanted to or where you thought you were gonna be. But I always, when I was little, I always used to say I wanted to be a pediatrician, a model, and and a whale and dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. <laughs> <laughs> so I always wanted to have like these three crazy jobs. Like, you know, so now, you know, same thing. I'm a multi-hyphenite now, entrepreneur. So it's funny. It kind of, I guess, <laughs> I'm doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, yeah, that's hilarious. So in your journey, right, when you finished high school um, in Orlando, what was the next step in your journey? What did you do immediately after high school? So I was, my plan was to go to Xavier. Um, it's a black, it's a Catholic HBCU. They're very strong in the sciences. Um, and again, going back to the medical thing, I, I had switched from pediatrician uh, to I wanted to be an orthodontist. So I was going to go to Xavier, but I graduated high school in 2006. Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. So then I had to take a step back. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm in Florida. I have in-state tuition. You know, I did well. So I qualify for what they call the Bright Future Scholarship, where they take care of your tuition if you go to a public university. So I went to Florida State straight out of high school. And then um, I ended up taking a break from school. Um, and then when I wanted to go back to school full time, I actually transferred into FAMU, Florida A&M. So I did end up going to HBCU and graduating from HBCU, but it was just in Florida. Okay. So at FAMU, what was your degree in at FAMU? My degree was actually in sociology. Um, so when I went back, I was like, you know, it was a clean slate. I was an AA transfer. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on, like personally and family wise. That's why I took a break from school and I was just working full time. So when I went back, I was like, you know, I want to go to school. I always loved history, the social sciences, um, anthropology. I love people. I'm a people person. I love and I'm a history buff. So I was like, let me, you know, major in something I'm actually interested in that's going to be engaging and hold my attention. So I majored in sociology and I minored in anthropology and Spanish. Um, and FAMU was amazing. Like, you know, I really, me personally, when I do have kids, I only want them to go to either an HBCU or an Ivy League school because I feel like both of those places, like, they do a really good job at nurturing their students and making their students feel like they can do anything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If you, if you made it here, you can go anywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, I wish I would have went to FAMU straight out the gate, but you know, I was like 17 years old making these decisions on my own. <laughs> and so, you know, um, but yeah. Yeah. Everybody has their journey. Um, so when you finish uh, with a degree in sociology, what is the first step that you take uh, after graduating? Um, in terms of like, you know, going in the workforce or don't, what was your yeah. next step? So when I was in Tallahassee, um, so when I took a break from school in 2010, I was working in the hospitality industry. I worked in fine dining, um, both on the catering and the restaurant side. So that was a great experience. Hospitality definitely polishes, you know, your customer service skills, um, your ability to connect with people quickly, build rapport. Um, so once I was in hospitality, after I graduated in 2015, I was back in hospitality again um, at that same place, that same um, 
hospitality group mm -hmm. uh, who owned like the one high-end hotel in, in Tallahassee and one of the fine dining restaurants in Tallahassee. But then I decided to move back home. I came back to Philly in August of 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I fell into what I'm doing now. So again, I was serving, I was waiting tables downtown at Davio's and one of my regulars, he was like, you know, you're, you're really intelligent. Like, what do you do outside of like this? And I was like, look for real jobs. And <laughs> so he got <laughs> me a job at the Edge Student Village. It's across the street from Temple's campus. Well, it's called something else now, but it's a high rise across the street from Temple, right behind the movie theater. Um, at Broad and Cecil B. Moore. That was my first big girl job when I moved back home. Um, so I started my career in student housing and the multifamily uh, industry. Okay. Okay. So um, you, you kind of talked about it already a little bit. Um, that experience in working for, um, you know, um, high-end hospitality, um, what did you take from that? And how did that help you when you started applying that to like student housing? Yeah. So um, again, just like it's sales, you know, at the end of the day, you're always, it, it's very synonymous with what I ended up doing being a leasing agent and stuff. So like, you know, always be closing, always upselling. That's something they always taught us. So you already have, it, it's a little different hospitality because somebody's already there, you know, you already mm -hmm. have someone there, but still you're supposed to upsell them while they're there. Um, again, building rapport, getting people to trust you. Um, when they're a recommendation, people ask you all the time for recommendations and things like that. So again, entering student housing, people are trusting you with their babies. So there was a lot. Um, uh, my soft skills were definitely polished. I will say that because <laughs> constant calls from parents and things like that. Um, but I, I think Hospital the hospitality to real estate track is actually like a really big one. A lot of um, people who do well in real estate are like former bartenders, former servers, or they mm -hmm. used to work in like retail or something. Because um, again, just like those soft skills that you pick up in the in the more customer service heavy sales industry, they translate well into real estate. Okay, so that gets you to where you are now. I know you also do property, you do property management, um, luxury homes. So what, what are all the different parts of real estate that you touch in terms of what you currently do? Sure. So after I worked at the edge, I started working for Post Brothers. They're one of the huge developers here in the Philadelphia area. Mm -hmm. um, they do value add. So they do luxury rentals, but they buy buildings that need value added to them so they take something that's okay and they make it class a super luxe so that's how i got started in the luxury real estate realm that was in 2016 i was a leasing specialist for post brothers then i ended up moving up the ranks to the property management office um, doing resident relations and assistant property management work i also worked for altera leo Aldamato. he owns that development company they have a different model so we're Post Brothers, their model is like value add, very class A, multifamily, like they have a model. Leo's a little more of a mixed bag. He kind of goes where the opportunity is. Mm -hmm. So he's got stuff in the suburbs, stuff in Center City. Um, then now they're doing um, these like live, work, play type of community models. So mm -hmm. there's um, Lincoln Square at Broad in South Washington and LVL yep. North at Broad and Spring Garden. So they're traditional high rises in the sense that there is a commercial anchor tenant at the bottom, but the commercial anchor tenants 
are very specific. They're, they're supermarkets, they're Starbucks, they're PetSmart, they are um, wine and spirits. Like, And then you have your apartment in the middle. Then at the top floor, you have your amenity space. So it's literally like you live, play, work there, you know, building these little mm-hmm. micro communities. That's kind of what he's moving towards um, for a development model. So, yeah, so I worked for tons of big developers in Philadelphia in different capacities on the sales and property management side. Then in 2019, I got my real estate license and I also started my property management company with my partner, Amani. We have literally worked almost every job together. We worked at Davio's together. We worked at The Edge together. We both worked at Post. So, um, you know, we're best friends. We know we can work well together. So we were like, let's start a business. So we started um, C&C Property Management in 2019. Mm-hmm. That's also when I got my real estate license. So since then, I've been a realtor. Um, I own my own property management company, and I matriculated out of the corporate world December of last year. So I've been working full time for myself since January of 2022. Nice, congratulations, congratulations. So what has that journey been like? Uh, how, um, what are some you of the challenges? <laughs> you already know that's been a you know that's a mixed bag. Entrepreneurship is very all over the place. It has tons of ebbs and flows, but, um, you know, I do love the freedom that Mm -hmm. I have with entrepreneurship. Um, the reason why my schedule was so crazy today and thank you for your flexibility is because I had to jam everything that I need to do in today because Mm -hmm. tomorrow I'm going to London. Hey, listen, that's, that's 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 a great problem to have, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great exactly. problem. That's what I'm saying. So while everything is kind of all over the place and your days never look the same, and like one month you might have, you know, 30k coming in, another month you might have 300 dollars coming in. You know, I do. I'm very grateful for the freedom and the flexibility and the work-life balance that entrepreneurship. So I do have another question for you, right? Because that live, work, play model, um, um, and I study real estate data. So that's something that's going on literally globally. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. I, I, I had an opportunity to speak in Australia. And one of the things they showed me was they're building a lot of facilities like that over there. Right? Yes. So it's, it's not just a thing that's happening here. But then I see more of it happening in the city. And then other big cities in the United States are also building those buildings. So that's interesting to see. Yeah. Um, that become a thing. And I think the pandemic is going to like make it happen even faster. Right. Um, So, so, but you worked in two for two development companies who have two different models. So I say all that to get to this question. What did you, what did you take from each of those experiences that like helped you in your journey? Yeah. So my long-term goal when I started working in real estate, Oh, that's probably the timer. When I started working in real estate, uh, my long-term goal is to develop. So, um, but my model is completely different from both of them. And I mean, that's because to be quite honest, you know, these are white men. Their experiences Mm -hmm. as a Philadelphian is completely different from mine. So I am more interested in doing a mixed economic development, right? So I love, I love multi i love multi-family housing i love um mixed use commercial right so i love the high-rise model with the commercial anchor tenant Mm -hmm. but i want to develop for to help keep what makes the community great there so i feel like a lot of the problems with um dc new york philadelphia now with 
the city investing in itself and investing in development and trying to attract people to build and reimagine what the urban landscape looks like. The people who were left there when, you know, white flight happened and urban blight took over, they're forgotten about. They're not included in the conversation. So I would like to build, like, maybe if there's 100 units, right? I would like 10 to 30% of them be dedicated to people who are on social security um, because they're retired or, you know, they're not able to work. Um, women who are formerly homeless or incarcerated, um, you know, Section 8 voucher recipients. And I don't want them to all live on one floor. I want them to be all mixed in on all different levels because, you know, everyone, everyone has a right and a privilege to live somewhere that they love. You mm -hmm. know, everybody loves to talk about luxury, luxury. But what does that mean, right? Um, I'm from the belief that, like, just being alive, it, it means you are afforded luxury. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I, wanna, I definitely want to do more like a mixed economic model where like the market rate rents float and carry the costs so that you're able to have stabilized, um, affordable housing for people who need it from the community so they're not displaced. I like so. that. Just being alive means you're for the luxury. I like yeah. that. Like that's, that's a, you know, isn't that's a word right there. all the time? Don't they always say like, you know, oh, you should be so grateful to be alive. Life is so beautiful. Blah, blah. So if life is all of that, then that means just by being alive, you know, that means I'm important. I'm I should be able to have the best there is to offer, you know. And listen, that's a t-shirt right there. Go make that t-shirt. That's a that's a <laughs> word right there. Just being alive means you're for the luxury. I like that. Um and that's interesting that you talk about that model because um, I agree. I just, I really haven't seen anyone um, pull it off at scale yet, right? So because, in New York, they do do it. Um, yeah, you know, the lottery yeah. system, every, all those new, all the new like residential um, multifamily high rises, they have to dedicate a certain percentage to the lottery. So the, with the lot, for people who aren't familiar, um, when there's a brand new construction building that's residential in New York, they have to allot maybe like 10% of the units mm -hmm. to people who are truly working in middle class. So that means like anybody who grosses under maybe like 85,000 or whatever, their rent is different from the market rents of the rest of the building. Their rents are like $2,200, which, you know, in New York, a brand new luxury apartment oh, yeah. that's unheard of, you know? So, yeah, but I was talking about, I know in Philadelphia, I think they have like a, yeah. where you can, um, you can, if you don't uh, allocate it to, uh, you know, someone with lower income, you can like pay into some sort of fund or something. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, because I know yeah, that some developers, different. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do. So to avoid having to put the mixed bag there, they'll just make a donation into this fund. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see like, how that could happen here in Philadelphia. But, yeah. um, you know, that, that's, that's an amazing model to try to follow because that does a couple things. It um, it helps uh, urban blight, but also gives, like, doesn't displace people, right? Exactly. It doesn't displace people. It gives them an opportunity to enjoy the, the luxury that's coming into their neighborhoods. And really, I, I feel like personally, um, when a lot of this stuff is happening, a lot of this redevelopment, um, it's really our older people who are displaced. You know, everybody hears the horror stories about predatory wholesalers who, you know, stole houses out from under elderly people for pennies to the dollar, you know? So mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate because I feel like really the older people, that's the pillars of our community. So yep. like when they're displaced, like there's nothing 
anchoring us, you know? So I, so my great grandparents, I'm from like Nice Town, Tioga area, like Venango. Um, mm -hmm. My great grandparents, they moved there. They bought that house in 1952 after they moved out of the Richard Allen projects. They moved up here in 1944 or so mm -hmm. from North Carolina, from Lumberton and Elizabethtown. They moved into the old Richard Allen projects. Then once they saved up enough money, they bought a house at 18th and Venango in 1952. And my great grandma said all the time, she was like, we don't live in the ghetto. We just live in a black neighborhood. And <laughs> you know, I was, I would be like, mm, are you sure about that? But, but my great, my great grandparents, they were a pillar of the community. I'm not even kidding. Like my great grandparents, they used to have this annual 4th of July cookout who they invited everybody. They were feeding, you know, my, whenever somebody would come and ask him for money, my great grandpa would give the local crackheads $20. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People really to him he was a man of the community they could go out of town they would they love to gamble they would go to atlantic city at least five times a year they didn't even have to lock their doors like nobody messed with them you know what i'm saying that's the yeah it's a real community, community. yeah like that's community and like without those you know families who are there for generations without those you know old heads on the block like you lose a lot of that you know and i feel like philadelphia has lost a lot of that and that's kind oh, of absolutely like, yeah, that's why we're in the situations we're in now. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. instead of uh, judging, he could have very much judged, you know, people based on their life situations. But instead, he really he fed them. He gave them money. You know, he was like, it's a blessing to be a blessing. You know, and if you live Man. by that model, it does it does trickle out. You know? Yeah, that's inspiring. I mean, and that's the way it should be, right? So that's the way it should be. Uh, dope story, by the way. You know, you being able to trace back. You know, that that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, no, but the, the, but the, the point I guess I'm trying to make is that, and this is interesting as a part of your story, is real estate uh, truly can be um, a tool used to help folks. Um, and I think that gets lost a lot of times because we look at the numbers and the properties yeah. and we're into the data so much that we don't, you know, really take the time to step back and think that real estate was once used as a tool of oppression, but it also can be used as a tool of empowerment. So, yes. Um, and I think that you, rec you, you recognize that from this conversation when you talk about what your long-term uh, model is in terms of development. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this question along this journey where you started, you know, um, you know, traveling and, and, and wanting to get into um, the, the sciences, starting in social science and then working in hospitality, this whole, this whole journey. Um, what has been like the biggest hurdle or something that you had to overcome to get you to where you are now, where you're on your way to London tomorrow? Like what is, what is, what is, what is the biggest hurdle or hurdle that you had to overcome to get you to where you are today? I would say um, definitely like mindset stuff. Um, so what was it about the mindset that you had? Mindset, to inner inner per, inner work, like that kind of stuff. So I was, you know, uh, it's difficult when you're like a gifted child right so mm -hmm. from the i was very i was a very confident child very self-assured very confident very inquisitive very fearless but just like everybody else you know puberty is very ghetto <laughs> when i turned like you know 15 i start comparing myself to other people i start doubt starts to set in things like that um so like and and um i think i mentioned earlier you know my mom moved my senior year. There was just a lot of stuff going on personally and family wise from like the age of like 15 to like 25, I would say. So, um, you know, just 
like that's been my biggest hurdle personally is I had to uh, ground myself. I had to reaffirm who, you know, who I am. I had to figure out like I had to find that from within, you know what I mean? Instead of trying to. And again, it's like not to beat myself up. It's natural when you're when you're going through that you know, adolescence, early adulthood stuff. Like I said, everybody's comparing themselves to everybody else. Everybody wants to be normal. You know what I mean? It's a weird time. So so I had to, so that's really been a big part of my growth journey is like retreating back into myself. Like, who am I? Where do my values lie? What type of, you know, getting that type of value from myself because I think um, being intelligent, I got a lot of it from other people. You know, I was always getting awards and cords at graduation and all that kind of fluff stuff. But you know, that dies out once you're an adult. Yeah. So I had to start finding that validation from within. So what helped you with that? Like, what was it? Was it anything that you specifically did? Or was it a person? Or what kind of helped you, you know, figure things out as you were going through this, um, you know, this growing period? Um, I would say definitely books, podcasts, conversations with older women about their mm-hmm. lives. Um, what else? You know, therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I, I went in 2019. I went on a women's retreat for black and brown women. That was beautiful. You know, just being in those types of spaces. Because okay. um, you know, once you start to big, once you start to put yourself out there and realize you're not the only person going through this and having these questions and these struggles, yeah. then that takes down, you know, the embarrassment. Because like, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know yeah. what's interesting is you talk about that, right? You said going through puberty is ghetto. That's pretty funny. But um, but I feel bad for the kids now because not I only know it's even worse. Now they have social media, so they can yeah. find the people who might not even be real. Let's just face yeah. It. I mean, I was on the cusp of it, you know, a digital camera, MySpace girl, AIM, okay. you know, AIM, LOL. So I was so <laughs> I was like on the cusp of it, mm-hmm. where like people's nudes were getting leaked. It was a whole bunch of drama yeah, when I was yeah. in high school too. So I can um, like empathize with them on that level, but also, but it's just, you know, you can drill that into someone as much as you want. They have to come to that like aha moment on their own, you know? Gotcha. And you talked about books helping you. Do you have a favorite book, a couple of favorite books that helped you? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm honestly, I'm more of like a podcaster now. Okay, so, so, um, so I have a ton of podcasts that I love and that I listen to. Um, I love, love, love Journey to Launch. So in 2017, um, I was working for Post Brothers. I was living on site at one of their properties. Um, so I was getting a base salary. I was getting commission incentives for new leases. I lived on site and at Presidential City for a discount. So I took a step back. I was like, if they can afford to pay me this and let me live for that, well, how much are they making? You know, that's kind of where my like wheels started turning. So that's when I got really into the FIRE movement, financially independent, okay. retire early movement. So Journey to Launch, Jamila Supran, I love her. Like her podcast Gems, gems, gems. Um, of course, bigger pockets. I love bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the Wall Street Journal has this podcast um, specifically about women in business. That okay. one is a game changer. They had um, <clears throat> the woman who owns Salamander Resorts. 
Okay. Um, Pop Johnson's ex-wife, she was on there. Um, the woman who started Spanx, the woman who started Soul Cycle, like that's an amazing one. Um, and then also I love, what other podcasts do I really, really love? Um, how the, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like something like How I Built It or something like that. And okay, it's yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so La Cologne was on there, you know, Philly. I love their podcast episode was very, very inspiring because it was during the pandemic that they were interviewed and they talked about that, about how like, cause they, you know, a lot of their, yeah, they're on shelves in Wawa and stuff, but a bulk of their business is their cafes. So when everything was shut down, they were like, how do we not lay off our workers and still be able to sustain ourselves? So the, the two, the founders, the managing founders of the company, they took a pay cut to zero so that they could be able to pay all of their staff throughout the pandemic. And I thought that was such mm. a beautiful thing. I feel like people, like you said earlier, people get so wrapped up in the numbers in in their individualistic rise to wealth, right? That they mm. forget that there are like socially equitable ways that we can all get there. You know, yeah. I just thought that was such a beautiful story because I ain't never met a boss who <laughs> they would take a pay cut of zero dollars to make sure that we were housed and fed, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So that's, that's some, some amazing. Have you ever heard of business wars? No, I got to look that one up. That's right, a so, podcast. I gotta look yeah. That up. So, so that's an interesting podcast to me because what business wars does, it looks at like a uh, competing brands, like an example would be Coca-Cola and Pepsi. And it goes into the history of how they became competitors um, and just some of the things that have happened along the years. And it's very interesting because it's not just those two. I mean, it's, it's stuff yeah. like Facebook and Snapchat. I mean, there's all sorts of companies that are competing mm -hmm. brands, but historically how they become. So um, that will be probably something that if, if you love business podcasts, What's it right? again? business wars, business wars. Okay. I'm gonna look yeah. Up. Yeah. But I love podcasts as well. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. So podcasts are always great. So let me ask you this question, right? So you talked about, um, you know, your journey, um, the businesses that you're in now, you talked about the podcast, you're like, uh, let's talk about the future. What does the future hold for you and your business? Or, um, you know, uh, what are you, some of the things you're looking to do in the future? Sure. So right now, um, so I'm a full-time realtor, um, co-owner of a property management company. Um, right now, I've actually been flirting with the idea of entering back into the corporate world, but just to um, just because to be a developer, it takes a lot of money. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm kind of in a, you know, so I'm, I'm just like, well, let me add another income stream, you know, um, just because I'm in like a growth mindset right now. Mm -hmm. in, um, a space of expansion. So just thinking of how I can, you know, up my income quickly, you know, yeah, yeah. a job is a really quick one. Um, so I've been flirting with the idea of maybe working for like a prop tech company or um, a commercial real estate firm or developer. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm continuing to take on clients. Um, I do love right now. I probably work mostly with investors and first time home buyers. Um, and that's just because mm -hmm. like I'm 33. So my network just happens to be a lot of first time home buyers. And then also I invest myself, you know, so I attract a lot of investors as well. So that's where most of my real estate business is, but I am on a luxury real estate team. So there, there are some one-offs where I'm dealing with clients who are renting at the Ritz or who are looking for, you know, million, million dollar homes on the main line. Um, yeah. But the bulk of my business is definitely like people like me. 
Um, and then also with the property management company, I recently went through the Power Up Your Business um, program that um, Community College of Philadelphia has. That's an excellent program. It's a peer-based learning cohort of uh, business owners. And so, you know, I entered that thinking, I was like, oh, you know, we're, we're looking for funding. We're trying to, you know, ramp up our marketing so we can get acquire more doors, you know, work with more clients, things like that. But taking that class, it made me realize like, girl, you got to get your systems in place. <laughs> like, you know, so, I've actually never heard of that. Cause explain what that class is. And oh my God, it's amazing. I'll send you the information on it because you know, I would love for people, more people who are entrepreneurs in Philadelphia to mm -hmm. take a class like this. So it's literally like everyone who you're in class with is a business owner. Okay. Everyone who comes to speak to your class is a business owner. Um, so, and everybody's at different levels in their business. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, so I entered this, I'm like, oh, this is a city backed program. It's through the community college. There's going to be, of course, we met people from the city who work in the commerce department and land bank and things like that. So I was thinking from that model, I was like, oh, there's going to be access to funding and things like that. But in speaking to other people, I was like, you know, me and Amani, we are, we with us being the owners and operators, a lot of our stuff is in our head. We haven't written a lot of stuff down. I don't even have an employee handbook. Like, and just like taking those classes, it made me realize like maybe before you ramp up and have to hire and onboard new people, maybe you should take a step back actually and write out some standard operating procedures and employee handbook and things like that. You know, what your firing and hiring process looks like just because it gets harder as you get bigger to put that stuff in place. So that's what I've been working on this year is really ramping up on the back office stuff, um, putting systems in place for my business that I co-own with someone, um, you know, working with my real estate clients and then exploring what other kind of opportunities are out there um, corporate career-wise. So yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because systems are so important because the system will allow you to really, really have your time because then yeah. you can rely on so it's the non-sexy stuff that's the most important you know like <laughs> that's not it's not sexy but it's an integral part of your business it really is yeah man oh listen congratulations on everything you've accomplished thus far and, and, and good luck on everything that you have coming to you um thank you i'm so glad we got to connect you yeah. gotta be on uh, my thing next. <laughs> oh listen whatever you need we are here i just want to say thank you so much for uh sharing your story um, and you know, for, uh, for giving your time to our audience and I'm going to make sure I put all of your, uh, contact information, your social media handles within the description. So for anybody listening, it will be in the show notes. And if you're watching the video, it will be right in the description. Make sure you check out what Devin's got going on. Make sure that you support everything that she has going on and follow her journey. Um, because listen, I'm rooting for you because your idea of what development can look like is something that's needed in the community. Um, and I would like love to see you accomplish that. So, uh, you know, we're all going to be following your journey. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll be your, uh, what you call it? Accountability partner, right? Yes. <laughs> as yes. you grow, as you grow, because we need listen, them in entrepreneurship. No, listen, yeah, because, but also your ideas of development, because most people come on, they talk about, you know, I want to have this many doors and this many things, but they don't talk about how you can build yeah. and keep people in the community right there. So I think that's important to see you succeed yeah. at you know, what your goals are. So I congratulations. Want I want us as black and brown founders to stop. There's a, there's a, where you're, you know, there's a book 
uh, why should why should all the white boys have all the fun? Or you know what I'm talking about? Reginald Lewis. Yeah. Reginald Lewis. yeah. But like, but it's like instead of it just being like, oh, it's not fair that white people have been gatekeeping us from doing X Y Z X amount of years, right? We know that we've had that conversation a million times. To me, that conversation is dead, right? Mm -hmm. I want to talk about okay. Now that they legally can't gatekeep, right? Now mm -hmm. that I can sue the shit out of an employer if they literally don't hire me because I'm a black woman, right? Mm -hmm. Now when I do get this job where I'm making 250,000 a year, what am I doing with the money? You know what I mean? We I want to reimagine what what would a truly equitable world look like. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm not trying to enter these spaces to like replicate and duplicate white supremacy like wow. i'm trying to enter these spaces because i know that once you're comfortable and you don't have to stress about how you're going to eat and we're and getting evicted that now your brain is working in a different way i want to reimagine you know what you're saying is the real conversation right because because truth be told what i'm gonna say a lot of people won't like is that most people um they just want to become the oppressor, right? Yeah, like and, I, and oh that's what, and, that, and that's, that's a whole another podcast. In yeah, itself. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would say that's where the problem lies because they're not looking to change anything. They just want yes. to be people. You just want to be on a yacht for what? Like yeah. for what? 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 What good is you by yourself being on a yacht out of if you're one out of five hundred other black people? You know what I'm saying? I want us all to be on it. Like you know what I mean? That's what makes it fun. I don't want to be by myself on some, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. So I, I just, I want us to start having next level conversation. Once yeah. we build the wealth, what are we doing with it? Why are we? Yeah. I, I say that it's funny that you said exactly what you just said. Cause I say that all the time. I'm like, black men just want to be the white men of black people. <laughs> a no, lot listen, I had a conversation with an entrepreneur yesterday and, and he was saying how, um, he has no choice. He was like, listen, I have no choice but to try to help others on my climb. He was like, because he's being honest. He was like, I, I've achieved a level of success. He was like, and it's actually lonely. He's like, because most of my peers or friends can't do the things that I can. And he said, so now I'm, I'm spending all my day trying to bring them up because like he said, honestly, it's really lonely. So, I mean, that's something to think about. But I mean, that, that that's a great, that's a whole other great conversation. Yeah, that's but, a whole other no, conversation. I like the fact that you're thinking along those lines. And this is why we're, you know, going to be rooting you on. But like I said, thanks so much for your time. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts, being transparent and talking about your journey. We definitely appreciate you. Like I said, for everybody out there listening or watching, make sure to follow Devin. Um, you know, shoot her a message. Let her know what you think about this episode and like, you know, give her some feedback. But also um, just cheer her on. And Devin, again, thank you so much. Good luck Thank to everything you. you've got going on. And Thanks to our listeners, absolutely. <laughs> and to our listeners and watchers out there, as we always say, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we'll see you guys on our next episode. Peace. Yeah.